Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Dobry vetcher and welcome to tonight's episode of the Bohemian Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Coleman. And I'm Travis Dow from the History of Alchemy Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Adalbert of Prague. And he was born in 939, so think um, 10th century Central Europe, and to give you kind of some context of that time period, so this is like 80 years after Cyril and Methodius came up from Byzantium and converted a lot of the, the Slavs in the area, like that's where we get Cyrillic from, right, so uh, that was in 863, so you know, 80, 80 years after. St. Wenceslaus died just five years before Adalbert was born, so right around that time period there. However, Adalbert, Adalbert was not born Adalbert. He was born Wojtek. So young Wojtek uh, grew up in a, in a family that was uh, somewhat well-to-do, really had a, a tough childhood for, for the issue of one particular illness, and this is what said uh, led him down the, the road to uh, giving his life for Christ. His parents had uh, been worried worried sick to death that he wasn't going to come out of this sickness and his fever was very high. They prayed to God and said, if, if, our, if our young son can make it through the night and through the week and become healthy again, he will dedicate his life to the church. Mm-hmm. And he followed through with that uh, vocation and became one of the most recognizable names in the Catholic Church to many people here in Central Europe and uh, uh, as the name of St. Aldebert. But now where did he get that name from, right? So so fulfilling the promise, right? So his parents sent him to the Archbishop 
Adalbert of Magdeburg, a Benedictine who was himself later canonized. So, you know, he was under the, the tutelage of a, of a saint. Um, now, that Adalbert gave Wojtek his name during confirmation. So we got Adalbert Sr., Adalbert Jr. Not, let's not get confused, right? Well, I wouldn't say Sr. or Jr. I, I right. Was, yeah, but, it, but and it, mentor it is, and, it's uh, very easy to get confused because St. Adalbert of Bohemia is actually St. Adalbert of Prague. Right. That's how he's remembered. And his mentor was St. Albert of, of Magdeburg. Yeah. And, and to, to give the idea, if, if I can, it's this Bishop Aldebert was uh, a, a good man. However, on his deathbed, he had a kind of come-to-Jesus moment uh, mm-hmm. in, right in front of his protege, Aldebert of Prague. What, yep. was that, what was that moment like, Travis? Let's call him a typical bishop of the time, so kind of more concerned with wealth and pleasure and honor. But on his deathbed, he came to regret that, and he... Um, kind of, uh, you know, he was worried that he wouldn't make it into heaven because he wasn't fulfilling his spiritual duties as much as he should have. And this affected young Adalbert profoundly. And uh, this will come back over and over in his life. Um, so shortly thereafter, he was ordained a priest in Prague in 983. And again, this is, you know, Prague has just, was just freshly Christianized, less than, less than, definitely less than 200 years, um, but even probably less than 100 years in, for, for most, most people. Um, he was very modest, and this, you know, like to the extreme, he wore a hair shirt. He distributed his money to the poor. He became a bishop almost right away, within months. This is, again, to give you some context, this is, so Cyril of Methodius came from the Orthodox Church, right? So this, his being named a bishop was from Rome. So this was, again, kind of a political battleground between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. So this might be one of the reasons why he was instantly named a bishop. But as soon as he became a bishop, he reformed his diocese, the budget, to cut his own expenses. He slept on the floor. He fasted. He gave sermons daily. Um, he visited the poor prisoners. However, <laughs> after six years of constant prayer, fasting, all this, all these things, he still didn't do too well in Bohemia. Okay, and this the main reason is because he represented a a tribe that was on the downswing, not mm-hmm. the upswing. And keep in mind at the time, the murderer of uh, who later became Saint Wenceslaus, Prince Wenceslaus. His brother murdered him. This was a mm-hmm. classic issue of fratricide. Yeah. Uh, his brother was Boleslav. Yeah. Boleslav I uh, murdered his brother Wenceslaus, to give you an idea, and he was on the throne at the time. Keep an idea that his parents were, pa- were pagans. His grandmother was the first, was the first right. Christian. Famously and, so. And so yeah. there's a lot of this sort of baggage that Boleslav is bringing here, despite the fact that, uh, that he represented the Primlisa dynasty, uh, which was the ruling dynasty at the time. The, the, the other Slavic dynasty was known as the Slavnik dynasty, and that uh, had its epicenter just to the east, maybe about a half an hour drive from Prague, just towards the east, heading, heading uh, toward maybe Kutnahora. That area right there is where the Slavniks uh, had their, um, their foundations, and Adalbert was of this Slavnik, mm-hmm. Slavnik dynasty, actually um, of, of royal line. Yeah. But gave up his his life for a life of poverty within the church. Mm-hmm. So already he's on the wrong side. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's an uphill battle. And so definitely. the Bohemians uh, are are somewhat. If you if you go back to the biblical days of, of of seeing one of my favorite disciples was was Paul. You know, Paul had a lot of issues. Let's just be honest with you guys. Paul had a lot of issues, but 
when he tried to to win over uh, uh, different different uh, um, uh, people, especially in Asia Minor at the time in modern day Turkey, mm-hmm. uh, he had problems. Yeah, he did. He didn't win the hearts and minds very quickly. He later got got them on board, only to find that in his letters to the Galatians, it didn't really work out. He had to mm-hmm. keep coming back to these guys to say, "Hey, you're following the wrong that's, ideas." That's a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is very Paul esque, mm-hmm. and and I think that uh, Adelbert had 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 a sense of of saying, "Hey, you're my people. Why aren't you falling in line here?" Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to give you the the right information it's about trying, trying to be a great role model and everything. E- right? Exactly, and uh, it was an uphill climb. It's something that really never changed in his dealing with with the the tribes and the people of Bohemia. So, at but this gives us an, another sort of analogy to a to a to a, a Bible story as well uh, about him trying to intercede with a public stoning of a woman here in in Bohemia. This woman was 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 uh, uh, accused of adultery, mm-hmm. and the men had stones in their hands. They were right about ready to to stone her to death. And Albert comes into this mob trying to ca- calm everything down. It didn't go well. The mob decided to stone this woman to death right in front of Albert. And his response was, "I'm basically going to excommunicate all of you." And so that's exactly what happened. What a what a party pooper! Yeah, party Seriously. pooper <laughs> is right because. These murderers deserve to be excommunicated in his eyes, um, and of course, the town folks decided to side with the, with the murderers and not so much with with uh, right. Albert. After things like this, he decided that enough's enough, and he went to Rome. Um, he, you know, one thing is that he didn't really want to have the authority of a bishop. He really wanted to be a kind of simple life. So in Rome, he asked Pope John the Fifteenth for permission to retire from his diocese, and this is in 989, so about six years later. He joined a Roman monastery and purposefully took on its most undesirable tasks of work and maintenance, right? But it wasn't to last. So five years after this, he returned to Prague. But this time, <laughs> and this again, you know, does remind me of Paul in several ways. So he said, okay, so first of all, he asked the people if they would accept him back. And he said, yes, please come back. And then he made a deal with the Pope saying, okay, I'll go back, but only if I can leave whenever I want. Right? So uh, the Pope agreed. So um, the, the people welcomed him warmly. <laughs> Typical Galatians, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they, they promised to change their ways. And it's during this time that he founded the monastery in Brzev, Brzevnov near Prague. And it's the first one in the Czech lands. I, I think you've been there. It, it, right? it, I have been, yeah. and it, it is, it's one of the oldest in all of Central Europe. Okay. Uh, so yeah. so it, it has its, its very great foundation with this, and it's still a very active monastery today. Uh, you can take tours of it. It's actually inside today's modern-day Prague. It would have been considered a little bit outside Prague. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to an average tourist that wants to go see Old Town or New Town or uh, you know, to the Castle Hill, um, it is a little off-path. Uh, for a lot of tourists to take, but I, I, I would highly recommend it. It's a beautiful place uh, in, in a surrounding park uh, on the way towards Bilahora uh, on the uh, west side of the city. Is it, a, is it a lot of the original architecture? Like, has it been rebuilt? No, it's, it's been rebuilt. Yeah, and yeah. You can I, thank the Hugh sites for that. Uh, oh, most okay. of everything yeah. here that has sort of, sort of Catholic origin uh, it did not uh, get out unscathed from the Hussite Wars, 
when the Protestants came in to burn anything Catholic. You, you sound angry, Coleman. Well, you know, it's, you want to take this outside? It's interesting. Uh, you know, on a personal note, <laughs> on a personal note, I, I grew up Protestant, Presbyterian, and I converted to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, that's uh, what we call heretics, yeah. uh, okay. if you will, um, or a good marriage. Very <laughs> <laughs> oh, true. Gotcha. Catholic, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I will say that I, I have the benefit of seeing both sides of the argument in a lot of ways. And uh, it is a very heated. It was. It's heated now, somewhat, a little calmed down. But uh, could you imagine how heated it was back in these days, and it, even further back into the time of Saint Albert? Calm down. I'm ready to fight you I, right I, now. <laughs> Albert himself was going into a situation of Christians for, or Catholics versus pagans, mm-hmm. and and uh, there were some. You know, we're talking generations of rituals and traditions that Saint Albert had to fight against to bring people over to. Uh, the idea of Catholicism. He came into it pretty fresh. Yeah, he came true. into it uh, yeah. very fresh. Uh, so yes, his monastery is still there today. Uh, uh, it's, it is a beautiful place. I highly recommend it. Uh, however, much to the chagrin of Aldebert, this really wasn't a welcoming situation uh, because uh, you know the the locals started to be rebellious. And uh, in keeping with the Pope's provision, he did leave to become uh, a missionary uh, to the Hungarians. Uh, so if you can get an idea here uh, that. He's been at, he's he's asked permission to come back to Bohemia, and basically these guys said no, no, thank you. We we don't we don't we're not buying what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you've come here twice. I know you set up a monastery, but we're we're not really we're not all that interested. So he decided, you know what? If I'm not wanted right here, some other people need me, and I'm going to go try to uh, head down to the Magyars and see if I can convert these guys mm-hmm. down in in, uh, in uh, Hungary. So that's what he did. Uh, he went on his mission to uh, Hungarian missions, and Adalbert taught, among many others, King Stefan I. Do I say Stefan in in, Hungar- in Hungary? Uh, but they would be later be canonized as Saint Stephen of Hungary. We call him Steve. So Adalbert uh, has a direct correlation to uh, the the prominence of Stephen I of Hungary, and uh, it's a, it's a very interesting connection be, uh, to his coronation, as well as to maybe some of the relics of Saint Stephen. So the the crown of Saint Stephen is a, is a famous one. In fact, it's the one that's on the coat of arms of the the flag of Hungary today. And if you ever see a picture of it, you'll be able to recognize it right away because of a crooked cross on the top. Like I even I've painted this crown before on on someone's head. Now, there's a couple of different maybe conflicting stories of how it originated. One is that it came from Byzantium. Another one is that it came from the Pope. The cross at the on the top probably was straight at some point, but in sometime in the 17th century, it was put in its iron box either wrongly or too hastily or whatever. For some reason, uh, when the lid, they closed the lid and the, uh, the cross on the top kind of bent a little bit. Well, in any case, that's not the end of the story. In the Hungarian Revolution in 1848, someone tried to save the crown and buried it in Transylvania for about five years before giving it back. So there you go. After World War II, it was liberated or rescued. I'm, I'm, I'm making air quotes here, but um, I, I think it was basically it was they they didn't want it to fall into the hands of communists because communists you know didn't like this royal regalia and these things so. Um, the, actually, the U.S. 86th Infantry Division took it, and it was um, given to the U.S. Army by the Hungarian monarchy for safekeeping against the Soviet Union. Right. So during the Cold War, it was kept in Fort Knox. There you go. So that, right? that that's a, that's a long uh, route to take from yeah. from Budapest, Hungary. 
to Fort Knox, Kentucky. To Kentucky, yeah. And, and then actually make the round trip back, didn't And then, it? yeah, so then during um, King Jimmy Carter's reign <laughs> in uh, 78, he gave it back. And this is, it's important to note, he gave it back to the people of Hungary, not the government, because the government was communist, right? So you can't just be giving communists some crown. So it, this was, he made the, an important distinction at the time. And then at, in 2000, it was moved to its final place where it is now, um, from, I believe, the National Museum to the Parliament. Now it's in the Parliament. And I think that's where you saw it? Is I, that... Actually, I've been fortunate enough to, to take a, a tour of, of Budapest and, and the Parliament building, and uh, uh, it is an amazing sort of area where you get to go into this uh, uh, high-vaulted ceiling, uh, round, rounded room, uh, rotunda inside Inside that's uh, uh, got uh, amazing artwork inside it. And then there's this encasement of the holy... Uh, orb, the scepter, mm-hmm. and the crown uh, encased in a case with armed guards all around it with one spotlight on it. So it is a, uh, a source of national pride for the Hungarians mm-hmm. to have these things. Uh, you can thank uh, the 86th Armored Division. You can thank uh, Jimmy Carter. You can thank uh, uh, maybe first Olive, Olive Branch by the, mm-hmm. the United States to uh, a Warsaw Pact country. Uh, it, it, there, there's a lot going on here, but the fingerprints are uh, Adelbert's because of his connection to St. Stephen. Yeah. Well, it's important to, that you know that everything's still there because that's pretty rare. And, you know, maybe except from the British crown jewels or whatever, but in Central Europe, there's not all that many kind of intact royal regalia that's still around. And there's so. not and it's not that much left over of some of the saints that have been martyred either, and we'll get to that maybe later in the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think it's probably a very good transition there because we, we talk about wrapping up his time in Hungary. He returned to the Roman monastery in St. Boniface where he served the office of prior. But Adelbert's uh, uh, consecrator remained insistent that he should return to Prague yet again. And you could just see maybe the uh, eye roll, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you know, saying, are you kidding Sigh. me? You know, uh, you know but uh, uh, mean, mean, meanwhile, uh, while in Hungary, uh, Strekovas uh, was eventually appointed to be his successor uh, to the Bishop of Prague. This didn't work out because at the time, uh, while assuming the office of bishop in Prague, he suddenly died uh, during the ceremony itself. So this really put Aldebert in a position that he had to take over. Died during the ceremony? Too much standing? I, I must Bored be very to str- death. I be. bet. You know what? <laughs> Even to too many Catholic weddings. Bored to they death. They are very long, but they're important. Okay. <laughs> so, <sighs> so the circumstances. Just get to the cake. This, okay. This, yeah, the circumstances uh, were unclear of, of his death, but this really did put uh, Aldebert in a in a bishop position once again, returning back to Prague. Um, and so he went with the the holy orders from Pope Gregory V um, that ordered Adelbert back uh, to resume his duties as Bishop of Prague. Mm-hmm. This time, however, the citizens said, no thank you, don't even enter our city. Right. All right. Yeah. So so there is a lot of tension. So at this point, what is he going to do? If you, if you can imagine this for a minute, there, there's a lot of tensions between the, the uh, ruling um, uh, party, uh, the, the, the ruling family in Bohemia with the Premlicids, uh, led by Boleslav I. Um, and this is not represented by his family connection, Adelbert's family connection, which were Slavniks, the, the competing dynasty mm-hmm. just to the east of Prague. Um, the massacre that happened was epic for the time. Um, the Promisids went in, raised the city to the ground. There's nothing to this day left except maybe a little bit of, of a foundation of a church. There's just nothing left. There's a legend that says that Adelbert was giving... Uh, uh, celebrating mass at, when this happened, 
and he just went blank. Not knowing, yeah. of course, because he's in Rome at the time and not in central Bohemia, but just went blank. And uh, the, the men of the church were trying to shake him awake um, uh, out of this, this self-induced coma. When he finally awoke, he said, I was just with my family as they were being killed. I was giving them the last rites. Um, and he goes, behold, my hand. And he lifted up his hand. And was were was once one glove or two gloves on his hand, on his both his hands. There was only one glove. One glove was missing. He said, "I left my glove at the mass in Bohemia." Man, I've heard this story. Have you heard this I story? didn't know it was Adelbert. They, they, yeah. t- they took his other glove and kept it as a relic of this miracle. Right. So that's one uh, of the miracles that, that yeah. he said he was transplanted to give the last rites to his family. So, knowing this again, this is one of the, the hallmarks of of. And one of the hardest things about being Christian is the idea of turning the other cheek or loving loving thy enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to turn the other cheek. Now, the Pope told him to go, right. to, to go back to Prague to Bohemia to take his his spot as a bishop of Prague. That did not happen because he decided to go another route. Well, yeah. So at this point, it was a pretty clear sign: do not come back. What are you going to do? Pope tells you to go. You know. <laughs> you go. So Adalbert attempted to obey the Pope's rule, uh, charge, and uh, he sent a message whether he would be allowed back, and the <laughs> response was no. So instead of going back to Bohemia, he just kind of overshot by a little bit and went to Poland and what is, you know, northeastern Germany, but really it was old Prussia. So he, he goes to Prussia, but I'm going to say that this is before the days of Teutonic Knights, so these were not Germans. These were um, what is now referred to as like Western Baltic. So it's it's like, you know, it's an, it's an extinct language and everything. Many believe that sacred oak, oak trees, which of course are very strong mm-hmm. wood, um, contained uh, uh, deities that would uh, cause, cause them um, hardships if they were yeah. ever torn down. And Albert knew this, and he followed the Think path of St. Boniface. Saint yeah, Boniface. this is basically the same story. Exactly. Yeah. And um, they could have gone two different routes. And I think the church learned this a little bit later, that you don't go in with a bulldozer. Well, with Boniface, it went very differently, it, right? Well, it, it, it <laughs> you did. never know. It, it did. Hmm. And uh, it, unfortunately, Albert kind of followed the same sort of deal. He did not go in saying, hey, you know what? This tree could represent something beautiful, just like Christianity. Um, instead of worshiping the tree or fearful of the tree, embrace the tree and make it symbolic of of Christ's love for the Christ's love for you and also the afterlife. Mm-hmm. That there's a life after death. That didn't go. That that's way. not the route. That's he not. Took. That's not yeah. the route he took. The, the route he <laughs> took was let's chop it down. All right. Mm-hmm. And um, and before he got to this, against the will of the of these uh, Prussian heathens, uh, they captured him and his brother, who was always in tow with him. Uh, his brother was named Radom. It was a half brother mm-hmm. uh, of of uh, and a very loyal companion uh, to Adalbert. They took him and his party, and they bent uh, Adalbert down on his knees. And uh, it, it, uh, as you can see, it probably did not go well uh, as far as we're talking about this martyrdom. And the reason, the information that we have from this particular event comes from his half brother Radom, that mm-hmm. uh, witnessed this and was allowed to leave to take back this information kind to of Rome as a warning. As a yeah. warning, absolutely. So uh, this this became this became a uh, a moment that uh, is. Uh, we're approaching the sad end of Adalbert's life. What would be a saint without being martyred, right? So eventually, um, they they were captured, like you mentioned. And um, the thing is that he was he was praying out loud, and kind of the um, almost biblical, uh, 
you know, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? So he was he was praying for the forgiveness of his attackers and offering his own life to God. Yeah. And and therefore the pagan priest said, Okay, you had it in always this is this is the quote, you had it always in your mouth that it was your desire to die for Christ and basically he said, Okay, let, let me do be. you a favor <laughs> and he this pagan priest stabbed him in the chest with a lance, and then six others joined in the party, and uh, he died of his wounds on April 23rd, which is his feast day now, in 997. Exactly. His head was uh, was also cut off and placed on a pike and as the heathens dance around yeah, it. Yeah. Um, again, this was uh, that same a warning story. sign. Yeah. yeah, it was a warning sign for uh, everybody else. Don't good, mess with our trees. Good times. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, it is tough. When we hear about the martyrs, uh, sometimes you hear about... Uh, what sticks with you is how they died. This is really horrific how they died. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, what stays with you is is the reason that they were martyrs because they stayed true to their faith to the very end. Where I think most of us would have cracked. Sure. Uh, Albert was 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 no different from that. He stuck to his guns to the very end, and uh, and was praying for forgiveness for his uh, for his enemies. Uh, he was an amazing man, historically amazing man, an amazing man of God. Uh, even though I think it's it's hard for a 21st century mind to look at this, Travis, and say, "Hey, why don't you leave the trees alone?" There's got to be a better way to convert people to to. Uh, no love to for lumberjacks. Religion. No love for lumberjacks. Stop printing He's, stuff. Yeah, so I, I think that um, I think in hindsight there probably was a better way of doing it. But this does give you some insight to to his belief system, doesn't it? Saying, mm-hmm. "I'm going to draw a very hard line in the sand here. You you do not worship." trees. You do well, not worship or be afraid of evil spirits it, because that doesn't fall into the line of Christianity. It worked for Boniface because the the, the theory was that, okay, that they believe that if someone harms this oak tree, that their gods will come down and smite them. And Boniface, you know, chopped the tree down and nothing happened and therefore it was proof enough for, I think Boniface was in Saxony or, you know, somewhere in Germany. And uh, it was proof enough that clearly they, you know, their gods must be false, and therefore there's a better chance that Boniface's was real. And so then a lot of them actually were converted. Didn't work out this way this time, but this was kind of the theology at the time. You know, this was the standard standard method. Well, if you can imagine Radom going back uh, to to Rome with a heavy heart, he just lost his brother, his best friend, uh, and he saw in a gruesome way that he was decapitated and, and stabbed to death. Um, not in that order. You know, he would go back to Rome with this information. It, it it sent shockwaves through through uh, the Catholic world at the time, and um, we we really just kind of brush up uh, against this time in Poland. Um, he is the patron saint of Poland. Albert is, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, one of them of Hungary also, and, and of Hungary. Uh, but his time in Poland was was relatively significant. And, and uh, before Pope John Paul II died, he made a pilgrimage through Prague, mm-hmm. uh, through Hungary, through Prague, and then onto outside of Krakow. Uh, mm-hmm. In Poland, to pay homage to Saint Adalbert on the 1000th anniversary in, in 1997, um, of course, of course, Pope John Paul II being Polish, this was probably very near and dear to his heart. So you talk to a Pole, they really do uh, have an affinity for the heart for Saint Adalbert. But this goes into uh, the next stage of our story, which is what happened to the body and the relics. Oh man, you know the the death of a saint is never the end of the story. This is. <laughs> It's well, unfortunate. It, it keeps it keeps going. Now, sometimes the pieces are given through different churches as well. But how did Travis? How did he get the body well, back? Yeah. So the, the thing is that so he's dead, uh, decapitated. So the Polish prince, uh, Boleslaw the Brave, later Boleslaw the First, King of Poland, and he traded his body 
for its weight in gold. So imagine, this was clearly, like, the, the, the Polish nobility clearly loved him. So, you know, people might want to say, oh, that's a whitewash of history. Maybe he did some bad things that the Czechs didn't like him. But he was loved in in um, Hungary. You know, he converted the king. The, con- the king obviously loved him. And then again in Poland. So I think he, he really did do some great things and was a very humble person. Just the Czechs didn't, didn't like him so much. So in the end, it was a Polish king that ransomed the body. Now here's where it gets interesting, because um, Adelbert has more than one set of bones. In fact, more than one skull, <laughs> which, and, is, which is I hear is impossible. Um, oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the, so the, the thing is that in 1039, the Czechs did realize that he was actually uh, a Czech saint, uh, you know, Bishop of Prague, and so they forcibly transported his bones to Prague and buried in Saint Vitus Cathedral. But, according to the Poles, and specifically according to the Rojniki Polskie in 1127, um, the bones were hidden, the real bones, were hidden in Poland, and the bones that the Czechs actually took were of his half-brother Radim. Um, Also, the Latin name was St. Gaudentius. Okay, so there's a set in Poland, in Gniezko, and then a second set of bones in St. Vitus, including two skulls. Okay, some more relics were stolen in 1923. Man, man, just leave the bones alone. Come yeah. on, the guy's uh, Well, dead. you know, uh, he was... He, so... Yeah, uh, he, he, was, he was a very well-known saint, so, of course, uh, any part of him would, would, would make or break uh, uh, um, s- some certain rel- relic uh, um, holiness at some sure. church. could be a pilgrimage site, anything. In fact, the Gniezno doors are famous because they show in relief, they show the whole life of the saint, which is it's pretty unique for this part of the world. So it's a really interesting place to visit, actually. So, so anyways, we mentioned the feast, na- feast day on April 23rd. That's the day he died. There's some legacies with, with that as well. And we, we talk about uh, his connection to both Poland and Hungary and now the Czech Republic. What are, what are some of the connections that, that we have here uh, for uh, that, that we see here in the 21st century? We see um, uh, the statues, actually, uh, of, of him and his brother, right exactly where the Slavnik dynasty's uh, last stand was against yeah. the Primlicids, um near the year 1000. And so the statues are actually located in Podebrady, which is uh, uh, east of Prague, about half an hour drive, heading towards Kutnohora. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, there's not much there. It's an open cornfield uh, that doesn't have much but a, a, a couple foundations of old churches of the Slavnik dynasty and these two modern-day mm-hmm. statues of St. Aldebert walking with his, with his best friend, his, his half-brother, Radim. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that is there, but you can also see at St. Vitus Cathedral in, in Prague Castle uh, what we think is part, maybe partly Radim's well, bod- bones or St. Aldebert's Hey, and St. Vitus itself, right? It's not actually... People call it St. Vitus Cathedral, but it's actually... The, re- the real name is called the Cathedral of St. Vitus, Wenceslaus, and Aldebert... Right, and it actually has three towers, so one tower is for each. I don't know whose is who, but right. And so, and and if you actually go down to Winchester Square, which is the main boulevard uh, walkway uh, between uh, Old Town and the National Museum at the top of the hill, you'll see one of the more famous landmarks, which is Saint Winchester on a horse. Now, uh, flanked by him are four um, saints or are four uh, holy uh, holy men, and one of those men is Saint is Saint Adalbert. Yeah, uh, so I, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. So, so that is there. So it is a Johnny-come-lately sort of moment for the Czech nation to kind of embrace this man when the Poles say, oh, we always knew he was awesome. 
the, the Hungarians, we always knew he was awesome. Well, it had to be a different dynasty, dif- different, you know, royal dynasty. And then they're like, oh wait, the princes got what they, what they had offered after Ottokar the Second. Um, the princes were done. Yeah. And, and so uh, they they did not last uh, too much longer after that. Uh, but you know, a very interesting man. Uh, I think that it's. Uh, I'm glad we can cover him on the Bohemian podcast because he really was a mover and shaker within the Catholic Church, uh, and uh, remembered uh, quite well uh, in reverence. Yeah, right up there with Cyril and Methodius, really. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we really uh, appreciate you all listening to us tonight. We uh, had a good time talking about this. We definitely want to give you some insight of some some. Uh, uh, where we got some of our information in our bibliography section tonight. One of the books that uh, was very helpful in this was by uh, Elena Jeskova called Czech Heaven. You might have heard her name before. Uh, Elena Jeskova has done a few things on Czech legends and several book series here in the Czech Republic. Also, CatholicNewsAgency.com as well as NewAdvent.org, which is a Catholic encyclopedia, helped with this information uh, for tonight. We want to thank you so much for listening to the Bohemican Podcast. Please join us at bohemican.com. It is a cornucopia of information that uh, ranges about uh, what an expat uh, from the United States is, uh, experiences here in the Czech Republic, uh, as well as some information on history, pop culture, music, arts, the people that, that make Czech Republic uh, the Czech Republic. And we always welcome your insights. Promise you, we're, we're working on our pronunciation. It is a challenge <laughs> to, yeah. for native English speakers to jump into the Czech language uh, and pronunciation, but we're really trying. We challenge you to do it better. <laughs> yeah, you probably could. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, well. so, so thank you all for listening tonight. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another fresh episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, take a look at our sister podcast, History of Alchemy, at historyofalchemy.com. And by all means, uh, if you have any suggestions or corrections, let us know. Thank you very much for listening. Ciao for now.